If you're a student, you're dismissed. Greetings uh, to Christ Community Church. I'm very happy you're here today. Thank you for braving the rain. Um, my bride's not with me. My grandson woke up with a temperature. And so she's home. Rainy was teaching in one place and Colton was teaching in another. And so um, Ba had to go rescue. Uh, so they're home reading books. Um, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, You are great. You're the greatest person that has ever existed or that ever will exist. You're not great because we declare it. We declare it because you are. Today we are going to study, I believe, uh, one of the one or two most important subjects that there are. And I confess to you that I am uh, unable to do it well or effectively. Paul says that we are to be the aroma of life. But who is up for that challenge? I feel that. Who is up to the challenge of declaring the glory and the marvelousness of your word? But you took a little boy and a slingshot and killed a giant. You took another little boy and a happy meal and fed thousands. You took a young lady and gave birth to the, to the Son of God. So while we're not able or up to the challenge, you are. Please do in our lives and in our midst that which only you can do. We believe you are able and willing. And therefore we thank you in advance by faith for what you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, most of y'all probably don't know this. But Shirley and I, my bride, we started dating the beginning of our senior year in high school. I'd been working on that objective for six years. And I literally, I just wore her down. And um, everybody else, the, all the other options, I guess, were either stoned or in jail or, or something. And so, um, I don't want to say cream rose to the top, but it, 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 yeah, anyway. Um, anyway, we dated, uh, and then we went to college. And much to my dismay, horror, um, Shirley went off to school in Virginia and it was a miracle of God that I even went to college, but I went to Memphis State. And um, literally, I, didn't even, I never even thought about college. It never crossed my mind until, until, until the summer before I went to college. It never crossed my mind. And um, uh, anyway, so I went to Memphis State. She went up to Virginia to go to school. And um, it, the... the, the um, the way that thing began, our separation began, she just, she was a very, my wife's a very honorable 
honest person. And she just said, Larry, I think that as we begin college, we ought to not just date each other. And I'm going to date some up there. I'm not saying we're not going to make it, but you date down here and I'll date up there. And well, if she'd have hit me and she'd have shot me in the face with a shotgun, it wouldn't have been any more terrible. So I said all that to say uh, that she got in the car, went to Virginia, and I made up my mind that I was going to write her a letter every day for that year. And so that, and literally, I wrote her a letter. I, I don't know that I'd ever written a letter. I don't ever remember writing a letter in my entire life. But I figured it out and started writing her letters uh, every day. And so she got two on Monday. It was the way that worked. And um, she still got all those letters, I think. And um, what I did not realize, now we had dated, I mean, strong, hot and heavy and fast, you know. Uh, but during that year that we were separated and I was writing, I wrote every day, she wrote once or twice a week. But we, in the process of me putting down on paper my thoughts, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, and her doing the same, the impact that that had on us uh, uh, growing in our understanding of who the other one was, it was crazy. It was, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't even know how to explain it, but it, there's a difference when something is put out on paper and it's thoughtful and intentional and directed towards someone, and then they have to read it and think about it. And uh, anyway, it was it was an incredibly powerful, healthy thing that took place that year in our relationship through those letters. I, I, I that's as good as I can explain it to you. Um, You'll see why I said that in a minute. I don't, uh, the internet is still sort of a new deal for me. I don't really do a lot of that. And uh, which is, it leaves me alone most of the time and I leave it alone most of the time. We get along lovely. Uh, but what I've learned from being around my wife and my daughter is that, um, y'all y'all already do all this, but my daughter doesn't buy anything without going online and seeing the reviews of other people that have bought that or used a service or what, whatever it is. She, she reads the reviews of other people before she embraces that. My wife doesn't do that so much because she doesn't buy anything. I, I'm the buyer in the family. Um, but... She's the travel agent of the family. I'd get us about as far as Horn Lake if it was up to me. And so she's the travel agent of the family. And she spends thousands of hours looking for places and investigating and exploring and all that. And she does the same thing with, with the travel. 
it is a big deal to her that she investigates the reviews of other people and their experience with that hotel, that activity, that whatever it is. You know, it's, that's a big deal there. And what, what they've convinced me of is that there's nothing any more powerful than the testimony of somebody that has gone through an experience. That is a very powerful force uh, in our lives. When we see or primarily hear or read about the experience that somebody else has had. And I was thinking about that and... Um, I just happened to be reading the other day uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 9 where the Queen of Sheba, y'all know that lady, she left North Africa, traveled up, she heard about King Solomon. And it was when King Solomon was blowing and going at the height of his kingdom and glory and power. And when she, and Queen, Queen of Sheba came up to visit him and he showed her everything and made a big deal. And when she left, she said this, I didn't believe what I heard about you till I came and saw it for myself. The half wasn't told to me of your wisdom and your achievements, your greatness, and your kingdom. You might not know this, but there are parts of North Africa that you can go to today and there are still groups of people that would worship the God of the Old Testament because of the testimony of the Queen of Sheba when she went back home. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 years later, the testimony of the Queen of Sheba about what she witnessed, what she saw, what she experienced... She went back and shared that with people and there have been people that have followed the God of the Old Testament for 3,000 years because of her testimony. The testimony of somebody about an experience that they've had is an incredibly powerful thing. And I started thinking about everybody in the Bible that had a testimony about the Lord Jesus and about the impact that God had upon their lives. I thought of Andrew. It says in John chapter 1 that Andrew, one of the disciples, he, he wasn't at this point yet, but he went, the Bible says, and spent the day with Jesus. And when he got through spending the day with Jesus, he went and found his brother who was Simon Peter. And he said, Simon Peter, I've spent, Larry paraphrase, I've spent the day with the most amazing man that I've ever met. I want you to come and meet him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what I'd do if my brother told me that. It's a, at least 50-50 chance. I, I, I'd say, I don't, you know, I ignore it. But Peter listened to his brother and went and sp spent time with Jesus and became St. Peter. Um, the Samaritan lady. Um, 
she spent a little time with Jesus. And when she left Jesus, she went back to town and she gave a testimony. She said, folks, there's a guy out at the well that y'all need to go meet. He has changed my life and he's told me everything that I've ever done. And her testimony, like Andrew's testimony, changed people's lives. The blind man uh, in John chapter 9, um, you know, that guy that uh, uh, Jesus healed and then Jesus leaves and, and all the religious leaders come and they say, you know, something's up, this isn't right, Jesus couldn't have done this, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on for a long time, but they, the, 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 the summary of the story, the point of the story is this. They say, you need to declare that Jesus is a sinner because we know he's a crumb bum and up to no good and we're against him and you need to declare that he's no good too. And the, the, the blind man's testimony was simply this. I don't know whether he's a crumb bum or not. I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. What I know is that because of my encounter with him, I used to be blind, but now I can see. And I've got example after example after example. The people in the Emmaus Road, they're walking along all down and discouraged and depressed because this guy that they thought was going to be the Messiah, the Romans kill him, throw him in a hole. And so they're, they're, these people are walking along the road going back to their town and they meet this person. And they have this encounter with this person. And when they go back to the, the, this person... Uh, who happened to be Jesus after the, he resurrected, he leaps. And the people go back to Jerusalem and find the apostles, and they said, didn't our hearts burn listening to this man's words? And like I said, I could go on and on and on with these people. Thomas, uh, the twelve apostles, I think it's in Acts chapter 4 where they're commanded by the religious leaders, do not keep telling everybody about Jesus. And they said, we cannot help but declare what we've seen and heard. And Paul on the road to Damascus and this experience he had with Jesus and then pretty much every time it seems like Jesus preached from then on, where his go-to story is not his doctrine. He, he does that, but his go-to story is not, let me tell you all the doctrine. His go-to story was, I was going down a road from Jerusalem to Damascus, and I had an encounter with God himself, with the Son of God. These testimonies of their, of their personal experiences with God himself and the life change that they were given, these testimonies changed people's lives. Lots and lots and lots of people's lives. I would suggest that you and I ultimately heard the gospel and experienced the power of the gospel because of the testimony of somebody, whether it was a friend, your mama, 
somebody you heard on the on the the, the TV or the radio or at church or uh, somewhere, but your life was changed by because of the testimony of somebody that shared with you their encounter with God, and that theirs was changed because, and it goes all the way back to the testimony of these people. Um, I wanted to share with you today. And this is going to be a two-parter at least. It might be a three-parter, but it's going to be a two-parter for sure. So I won't finish today. No way. But I'm going to, I'm going to give it a yeoman's effort to start. Um, I want to give you my testimony uh, as it relates to reading the Bible uh, on a daily basis. Um, I just want to declare to you that I've had some incredible experiences. I was raised by marvelous parents. I've got glorious siblings. I've had some of the deepest, richest, most unbelievable uh, friends that anyone could imagine. I got to marry my wife, who I followed up Virginia and <laughs> sealed that deal. But anyway, uh, I got to marry my bride, and um, that's been really great. She gave me a daughter, which danged if it was possible, she made somebody even better than her, if that's possible. And danged if my daughter didn't produce somebody even better than her. It's the most incredible. I've, had, I've been given the privilege of traveling all over the world, literally. Other than a handful of places, I've been all over the world. And I've had some great experiences in my life. But I want to declare to you Turk, John, Beck, Jim, and Austin, I want to declare to every one of you, Patty, the greatest experience of my life, hands down, has been the experience of being exposed on a daily basis to the Word of God. There's nothing in my life that can compare to it. To being given a copy of the Word of God, number one. To being given the privilege of knowing how to read. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do have a brain and it works fairly okay most of the time. And so I can read and understand it. I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside me and He helps me understand it. And I just wanted to testify to y'all that reading the Bible on a daily basis for the last 42 years has been the greatest experience, the greatest life-changing experience that I've ever had. And I can testify that to you that over time, 
that daily experience of reading the Bible has impacted me with things like peace. Um, I am a worrier by nature. I get easily stressed out. I get easily fearful. I get uh, in turmoil. Um, that is my nature. And the Word of God has impacted me with peace. Thy word was found, and I did. Those that love thy law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. I've been given light. There are times when my world gets very dark, um, internally and externally. And the Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light from my path. And in Psalm 119, it goes on to say that thy word is light. God's word shines in my heart and produces it. We might have even sang about darkness being driven. Darkness refuses to, I forgot exactly what we sang, but it's something about that. Uh, and I have found that to be true, that when the light of God's word shines in my life, it drives the darkness away. Psalm 1 says that those that love and read and study and follow God's Word, um, they experience success. And their life becomes like a tree whose roots go deep down in the ground beside a river with lots of water. I've experienced that. I I see my life, I know that some of you would not see it that way, but I see my life as unbelievably successful. And I see my life, I, I feel stability in my life. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that people that love and know and follow God's word, their lives are like a house that when storms blow by nobody gets the option hey I'd like a life with no storms well you don't get that option that's not a choice what you do what we do get is the choice of having lives full of storms but when the storms blow through our houses are still there and Jesus says that people that study and follow God's word they're lives withstand the storms I've experienced joy I get up in the morning and I, 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 I immediately start worrying I immediately start fearing I immediately get start getting discouraged I, I'm not telling you fairy tale I'm telling you the truth and I can get in in my little place where I read and I can spend time in the Word of God and when I'm through I have joy in my life. Those that love thy law, oh wait a minute, uh, thy word was found and I did eat it and it became the joy and the rejoicing of my soul. I have found joy in reading God's word. Psalm 119.98 says that those that, well actually two different places it says in Psalm 119, 
Those that read and study and follow God's word, they're wiser than their enemies and they're wiser than their teachers. It gives us wisdom. Paul says in Romans 10 that, you know, I hear people all the time, they go, oh, I'm having trouble with faith. I'm having, I struggle believing and trusting. I have trouble with my faith. I have trouble believing. I have trouble with my faith. And I'll ask them, how much time do you spend every day in the Word of God? Well, not much. Huh. Could there be a correlation? Could there be a connection? Paul says that, that we build our faith through the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Psalm 143 says that the Word of God will show you the way to go. It'll teach you and direct your paths. I found that to be true. Proverbs chapter 3 says that the Word of God is healing for our souls. I've experienced healing in my life. I, um, I ain't going to get into all that. I'll just tell you that I can testify that the Word of God has given healing to my soul. One of the most important things that you and I have to decide in our lives is who gets to make the ultimate decision about what is true and what's not true. Most important decision you'll ever make. Who gets to make the decision about what is true and what's not true for you? I made a decision a long time ago The Bible it determines what is true for me. I don't get to decide what God's like. God's going to tell me through His Word what He's like. I don't get to decide what my identity is going to be. God will tell me that. I don't get to decide what, how, what my role in my marriage is. My role as a parent. What I'm supposed to... I'm not, I don't get to decide how I see and approach relationships, finances, health, enemies, friends, uh, time, resources. Um, I don't get to decide that. I made a decision to let God reveal to me what is true rather than me deciding what's true. And I just wanted to declare to you today that it is my strong belief based upon my regular experience for 43 years that the Word of God is the primary means. I'm choosing my words carefully. The Word of God is His primary means through which God reveals Himself to us, connects with us, guides us, transforms us, instructs us. God has many ways that He reveals Himself to us. And I'm not making light of those. I'm not minimizing those. But I would tell you that at the end of the day, and if you... We'll read Psalm 119. It's one of the most beautiful psalms in the world. And uh, King David says in Psalm 19, the universe and all of creation reveals the glory of God. 
but it only does it so far. There are limits to what stars and comets and trees and birds and oceans and mountains can declare. They can declare the glory of God. They can reveal God to us. Angels, relationships can reveal the glory of God. God can speak to us through all of those things and a myriad of others. But what David says in Psalm 19 is at the end of the day, while God reveals himself to us through a myriad of ways, his primary, his perfect way, his most effective and powerful way of revealing himself to us is through his word. It's a difference in under, if you had a great if you had a grandfather, a great-grandfather, in my mind, you could go back and look at his estate, where he lived, how he decorated it, what he bought, what he did for a living. You could learn a lot about your grandfather, a great-grandfather, through his life experiences. But that's not the same as if you discovered his letters that he wrote. The letters that he wrote about himself, about his life, his experiences, his view of things, his perspective, that would reveal to you things about your grandfather that you could never, never know otherwise. For 3,600 years, give or take, 3,600 years ago, give or take, is when Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And for 3,600 years, the followers of Yahweh have overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly chosen to study the Bible. Whether the Bible was one book at, at a time, Genesis, and then it grew, it built on itself, all the way to Revelation. But the followers of Yahweh for 3,600 years have overwhelmingly declared we value the Bible as the primary means through which we get to know and experience God. I'm not talking, folks, I'm not trying to add another duty to your life. I like the word duty. <laughs> I think it's a noble word, but that's not the word that I... It's like somebody telling me, like Tim Smith telling me, you know, man, it's important that you kiss your wife every day. You know, it's your duty. Well, okay, but that's not really... That, that misses the point. <laughs> I don't kiss my wife <laughs> dutifully. I kiss her because I like her, and I think she's pretty, and I'd rather kiss her than anything. I'm not suggesting, I'm not testifying to you today that you ought to read the Bible out of duty. There is some little dablet of truth to that, but that's, that's, it's missing the point. It's missing the point. The point is that it's the delight or it should be the delight of our lives. That's why in 1 Peter, Peter says, since you have tasted of the goodness of God 
Crave the pure spiritual milk so that you will mature in your salvation. A little baby doesn't long for milk dutifully. A little baby longs for milk because it wants it more than anything. Peter says that's the way we ought to feel about the Word of God. We, we, we should delight in it because we've tasted the goodness of God. David said it this way, How sweet are your words to my taste. They're sweeter than honey in my mouth. I'll just end today by declaring to you that learning to be a student of God's Word is not for the faint of heart. I've read it every day for 43 years. You do not have to tell me that, well, it's hard, Larry. <laughs> Duh, get in line. I, yeah, I know it's hard. But what in life that matters isn't hard? You've been in a marriage for many, many, many years, and you'd say it's good? Was that easy? There are words that I would use, but I would just say, heck no. You raised some great kids, and now they're out on their own doing good? You're proud of them? Was that easy? Some of you have built huge, successful businesses from the ground up. Was that easy? Anything in life that matters, anything in life that has any meaning and eternal value, it's not easy. It's hard. It's challenging. That's why, that's why Jeremiah said, or God said through Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me. That's my promise. If you search for me with all of your heart. It ain't just going through the Piccadilly line and I'll take a little bit of that and I'll take a little bit of that and I'll drop by, you know, when I get a little extra time. And, uh, you know, it's not... No, no, no. There is something about the, the all-in wartime conditions, take no prisoners, cut the rope from the dock, abandonment. I'm going to learn the Word of God as best I can or die. There's something about that that God declares through Jeremiah that matters, that's important, that's powerful. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I met with two precious people just last week both of them asked the, almost the exact same question how can I understand and interpret and apply the word of God to my life it's an incredible question I don't think there's a more important question that we can ask and it's not an easy question to answer. The Bible has many challenges to it. I could give you 50. I'll give you four real quick ones. One is, 
The Bible was not written to you. The Bible was not written to me. It was written for us, but not to us. It's, I heard a wise man say one time that understanding the Bible is like a conversation that's not heard, but it's overheard. It's like listening to two people talking around the corner. And they're not talking to you. But you're listening to what they're saying so that you can benefit from their conversation. We're not the original audience. There's not a book in the Bible that was written to you. Not one. Your name's not Timothy. You're not the Israelites. You're not uh, any of the seven churches in Asia Minor. <laughs> not a book in the Bible written to you. But I believe with all my heart that the Bible was written for you. But it makes it challenging. Another challenge is, my wife tell, talks to me all the time. She teaches Shakespeare and Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and all these dudes. And she says, you know, it is incredibly challenging to not just read these people's words, but to understand their meaning. What did that author mean by those words? It's the same challenge with the Bible. It's not enough that we have the words of God. But what did he mean in those words? That is a challenge. It's a challenge that the Bible has got, depending upon who you ask, uh, but the, this Bible has, I'm going to tell you it has 66 books. That's not really true. It's because all the ones and twos in the Old Testament were really just one book. First and Second Chronicles wasn't, that, that's a later division. It's just Chronicles. Kings are just kings. Um, um, Samuel, just Samuel. And so some of the books, uh, uh, we've divided them up. But, but my point is, there's a whole slew of them. Maybe it's not 66 exactly, but it's a whole slew of them. And they were written by approximately, we don't know exactly because some of them are not signed, but by approximately 40 authors. They were written in different cultures, two different cultures. Uh, they were written in different languages. Not a book in the Bible was written in English. Not a one. And if you, if you speak another language and you've tried to translate one language to another, is that always easy? No, it's not. That makes it challenging. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. From Moses to John. It was written from about 1500 B.C. to 100 A.D. And the Bible is filled with all kind of different literary... She's scarily, if she was here, she'd be telling you all this. But it's filled with all kind of different literary techniques. Um, it's, it's filled with poetry and narrative and metaphor and history and prophecy, and apocalypse, and biographies, and theologies, and personal letters. And as I said before, 
like every other meaningful, life-changing, worthy endeavor and experience in life. Learning to be a student and a, an understander. I know that's not a good word, but a student and an understander and a follower and, a, and to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. You don't just read it, but you interpret it well and you apply it well. That is a hard, hard, lifetime challenging endeavor. Some of you read the Bible literally. Every word of it is literal. Some of you read the Bible more figuratively, metaphorically. Which, should I read the Bible literally? Should I read the Bible figuratively? You know what I would say? Read it seriously. Read it seriously. Because there's going to be parts of it that are, in my theology, in my understanding, they're literal. There's other parts that are figuratively. They're metaphorically. And we have to be able to define, and define that and divide that and identify that. The question is not, is it literal or is it figurative? The question is, will I seriously, humbly, slowly, methodically, intentionally, wisely approach the Bible with the intent of studying it? Studying it until... I do understand it. I don't mean understand every bit of it. But I, I'm beginning to understand it. What time is it? Okay. Shit, sucker bill. Okay. We'll have to we'll pick this up next week. I want to give you, though, next week, I'm going to give you, there are eight things that over, this didn't come out of a book. I didn't get this in a hermeneutics class. Maybe they said it, but I don't remember it. Okay. Maybe they did. I don't know. Um, but these are just, when I get up in the morning at 4 o'clock, and I go into my den, or on my porch, and I, this isn't the Bible that I read, but when I take the Bible and I open it up, there are eight things that I, that help me get something out of the Bible and I pray that help me, help the Bible get into me. Help me get into the Bible and help the Bible get into me. And I want to share those eight things with you next week. And I really pray and believe that they might could help, help you too. Uh, they're not, none of them are perfect. Uh, but they, they've, been, they've become very, very helpful for me. And uh, that's what we'll talk about next week. And Shirley will be back. Lord willing, then she can help me too. Okay. We're going to... We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And you know, at the end of the day, taking the Lord's Supper is nothing more than a testimony. It is a public declaration that... a. a, a a man, a special man, a unique man, the God-man, lived 2,000 years ago. 
but through some miraculous circumstances, His life has spilled over into my life and changed me for good. And I eat that which represents His blood and body as a testimony to myself and to others. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my King. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. There's other reasons, but that's, that's about as good a one as I can think of right now. And so, um, what I'd like you to do as Christopher starts playing, I'm going to invite you, if, if that's your testimony, well, I don't really go to your church very often. I didn't ask you what church you go to. I, well, I've got, I, don't really dis, I don't agree with everything you said about the Bible. I didn't ask you that either. I didn't ask you if you have a Christmas tree or not, or go trick-or-treating or not, or, you know, I didn't ask you any, any of those things, okay? What I asked you was, has the, the blood and the body of, of the God-man 2,000 years ago impacted your life with good? And now you love Him because you have believed that He loves you. And he died so that you could be a part of his family. If that is your testimony, then I invite you to come and, and, and take and eat and drink and remember and give thanks. But before you come, the Piccadilly will wait. You, you can just wait just a second, okay? There'll still be some food in different places. Take just a moment in your seat and just think about the Word of God. Colin, shoot that verse up on the... The, 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 the thing for me. Psalm 19, those verses. I just wish you would read those verses to yourself and think about your relationship to the Word of God. What do you believe about the Bible? How do you relate to the Bible? Do David's words mean anything to you? Ring true for you? Should they? Read those words and think about your relationship to the Word of God. And then when, you're, when you have, I invite you to come and eat and drink and remember.